All right. Well, we're glad to have you with us today. And uh, this being sort of the first full weekend of the year, um, my mind is about what was 21 and now is 22. And uh, we're going to talk about things we must do in 2022. Hard to believe that we're at that year already. And uh, as we look forward, uh, I am concerned at the way we are concerned. And uh, I was talking with the team, you know, I think 2019 was probably the last uh, naive year uh, in a while of Happy New Year. We had no idea what's coming. And now uh, we're continuing to battle forward in a new reality, uh, not just uh, in the world of health and viruses, uh, politically, economically, social uh, tensions, all sorts of things, not just in our nation, but worldwide. And uh, if we're not careful, it's easy to be anxious. And uh, it's easy to, to lack confidence and hope. And so I want to talk about things that we must do in 2022 to turn that around, at least individually. The first thing I would recommend to you before I jump into the message is uh, to be spiritually prepared and cultivate a, a sense of spiritual vitality. And nobody can do that for you but you. So take the initiative in that. And one thing that we do uh, for the past many years to kind of kick it off is we invite people to have a season of prayer and fasting with us. We've gone anywhere from a week to three weeks. And we're, we're asking, what I've noticed is the longer we go three weeks, fewer and fewer people do the gauntlet, the whole length. So we're going to go for a week and we want everyone to participate. Turn to your neighbor and tell him he means you. All right. Uh, prayer and fasting. And when it comes to fasting, that's doing without, typically without food, although if you can't do that, find something else. But it's about depriving your appetites and yourself. Uh, and when you feel that deprivation, uh, to turn your attention to God. Uh, when I get hungry in a fast, I'll, I'll use it to remind me to pray uh, and to take time during my lunchtime or, or meal times to pray. And so we're inviting you to the Daniel fast uh, this year, but only for a week. If you want to go longer, you can. And when you read in Daniel chapter 10, he really shows us it's not like that's a standard fast. It wasn't one that's elsewhere in Scripture. But Daniel models for us how to kind of take a personal approach to his personal life. He decided he's going to take three weeks and not eat any meat, do a vegetarian diet. In those days, it was wine or, or water, so he didn't drink any wine. And a fairly simple diet, simple foods. And so we're encouraging you, if you want to stop by the VIP room, they have a Daniel Fast guide on, on dietary things about it. Uh, but also there's a, there's a prayer guide that gives you uh, a different prayer in Scripture every day for the next week. And we'll also be putting that online. It's not only on our website, but our social media. We have a different lead pastor or a pastor or a member of our lead team uh, will share with you uh, some devotions. So join us for that. And we're having prayer in the West Auditorium uh, morning and evening at 6.30 a.m. and p.m. So join us for an hour of that. There'll be a different member of our staff there to help lead that. If you can't make it here, fine. Just do it in your life. But set aside a time to pray, a time to fast, and build your spiritual vitality. The second thing that you've got to do facing 2022 is keep your sense of humor. Wow. <laughs> you need to hear that, okay? Keep your sense of humor, all right? Uh, and I'm not sure if you like my sense of humor, but you're going to see some of it anyway, all right? Uh, and it's funny because I picked out like four, I think, different uh, 
I often will take screenshots and send them to friends or family. And I picked out four screenshots I've chosen lately. And last night, the team already said, people didn't get that one. So we picked another one. I had to replace, replace it. And in yesterday, last service, I had to explain to somebody the whole joke. So maybe it's not funny. But here's one anyway. When a kid says, Daddy, I want Mommy, that's the kid version of, I like to speak to your supervisor. <laughs> so the mom's like that one. Okay, here's the next one. Um, my New Year's resolution is to stop putting my foot in my mouth all the time. I'll bet yours is losing weight, huh? Okay, so I had to explain that. She put her foot in her mouth again by... Okay, you guys, see, you're, you're more awake. That's it. All right. All right, next one. Oh, wait, before you go to the next one. Uh, in college, we had two guys in a room, and then there was a bathroom, and two guys in a room. We shared the bathroom. That was a suite. My suite mate, Jim Sullivan, grew up to be a cartoon artist and an art major, so this one is from Jim. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? <laughs> yeah. And then I got another one just to get people in trouble. Don't laugh at this. <laughs> All right. Keep your, tell your neighbor, keep your sense of humor. Yeah, or get one in the first place. Either way. All right. Um, and then a great antidote for anxiety, I find, is to remind yourself of a larger purpose. And uh, I have to practice what I preach. There are times that I'm, I'm tempted to be fearful or anxious or overwhelmed. I have to remind myself, man, when I look at the world scene and it's just like, whew, what to do about that? I'll remind myself, you know what? But I'm serving Christ and he's coming back. And that kind of helps, helps put things in perspective. And so I would encourage you to, to have a sense of mission and purpose about life. And uh, I invite you, if you're not already part of what we're doing, to join us. Um, as a person and as a church, we have a mission. It kind of fits both ways. And our mission statement we can put up on the screen. If you read out loud with me, please. To know God, be his people, value others, and change our world. I'll unpack that in a moment. But uh, when it comes to developing a mission statement, I did it all wrong. This is my early tenure. It was like two years into things, about 30 years ago. And I just thought, okay, like what would like a mission be for a church? Or what would my mission be in life? Well, I want to know God. And then I want to be the person he wants me to be. And then I want to value others because you can't do the two without the third one. And doing that, I want to help, help change the world. And so we kind of, I preached that. We kind of caught on and we adopted that. And I would invite you, if you want to pick a different mission statement for your life, do so. Uh, but surely as we kind of walk through that, I want to unpack it. And let's start with that first point. To know God is a starting point for us as believers. And a few years ago, we added pronouns to that to help us remember it. Would you say him? Because it's about him. All right. Let me dive into a scripture passage in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. It says, thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not a mighty man boast of his might. Doesn't matter how strong you are, how smart you are. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. Doesn't matter how much stuff you have. But let him who boasts, him who celebrates, boast of this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. God is a God of loving kindness, justice, and righteousness, and he calls us to know him. It's not just a cognitive thing. When Jesus was asked in the Gospels over and over again, they said, well, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So it's a, it's a, it's a knowing God, but it's a loving God with a passion. 
And when you love someone with a passion, and as you get to know them, and, and the longer you do, uh, they tend to rub off. Think of the people that are close to you, people that you've known a long time, people of influence in your life. Uh, if you're like me, I've picked up some of their mannerisms or some of their sense of humor or some of their values or attitudes or perspectives. They, they tend to rub off on us. And certainly, if we know God as the, as the creator of the universe, and if we love him with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength, then, then certainly he's going to rub off on us. Make sense? So we're going to be more like him. And so that's why the second part of that is, is to, to be his people. And so if the first one's about him, this one is about me. Just say me. I'm talking about you now. As you follow Christ, as you know God, there is an expected transformation that's supposed to happen and be happening inside of you. In John chapter 14, Jesus put it this way. If you love me, how many of you love Jesus? All right. You will keep my commandments. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. So it is a passionate relationship. It's one where we love God. And it is one that transforms us. And it's a relationship of obedience. And the, the, the verses in between there talk about how he gives us the Holy Spirit to empower us to do that. Because personally, I can't obey God just on my own. But as the Holy Spirit helps me, I'm able to do that. Even then, it can be a struggle back and forth in our life. And so I want to highlight three areas in which we're to be his people. Three areas that I would think, if you really know God and have a relationship with Christ, that we should be changing. Those three areas would be in our lifestyle, in our temperament. And the third one, I couldn't, I sat literally in my office and trying to think of a word, and I couldn't think of a word, so I just said, me and stuff. All right? So we're going to talk about our, temp our lifestyle, temperament, and me and stuff. Let's talk about our lifestyle. There is a passage in Titus I'm not going to put on the screen. In fact, these verses I'll just read for you. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, if you have a Bible or a Bible device. It says, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, all who say yes to Christ, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And here's how he kind of motivates himself. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. So for 2,000 years, Christians have had in the back of their mind, Jesus made a promise before he left the planet that I'm coming back. And Paul reinforced that. So Christ is returning someday. And so regardless of how bad things get, I have this hope of Christ's return. In the meantime, he calls me that I am to, uh, to deny ungodliness and to deny worldly desires. I guess my question would be, do we even know what those are anymore? Is there even a sense of, well, that's right, that's not. I really shouldn't do that or participate in that because I follow Christ. And so I'm going I'm I'm to deny myself that. There should be a transformation in our lifestyle as we serve him. There are things I do not do in my life simply because I follow Christ. There are things I at least try not to and struggle against, but resist the temptation because I want to be more like him. The second area of change should be in our temperament. And uh, the Bible describes the, the character qualities of Jesus and calls them the fruit of the Spirit. 
Let me read these for you. And these are supposed to be adjectives people could use about you. And so as you're listening to this, this message, uh, let's pretend we put together a polling group and it's a half a dozen people out of your life. You don't get to pick them all, okay? Uh, but it's a relative, uh, family member of some sort, maybe a coworker or two, uh, maybe a classmate if you're in school, some in your neighborhood, and I don't pick a couple of miscellaneous people that you interact with. And so would they say, first of all, you know, looking at their life, I can tell that there are some things that they do or don't do just because of their faith in Christ. Looking at their life, I can see that, wow, you know, knowing God is a passion for them. And not just some head thing, but it really digs down deep. And they love God all their heart, soul. Would they, would they, what would they give you? A plus equals minus on that. Transformation of lifestyle. And then what would they say about your temperament? Are these words that describe you? The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, is love. Not just people that love you back, Jesus said. Joy. Not just when things are good. Peace, not just when everything is calm, is calm. Patience. Isn't it a shame that the only way to grow your patience is to have it tested? All right, but patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And I was talking to a group of senior citizens years ago, and I quoted an old hymn. And I said, remember the old hymn, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. And he goes, oh, yeah. And I said, shouldn't it also say, the longer I serve him, the sweeter I grow? I mean, shouldn't it be that the longer I say I know God and I love him with a passion, all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, shouldn't Jesus be rubbing off on me and I am more loving and more consistent joy and a greater sense of unshakable peace and I'm patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle and self-control? That should be the transformation that's happening in us. And I'm thankful for the transformation that's happened so far in me, but I've also found that the transformation doesn't appear to have an ending date in my life. It's for life. I'm constantly in process, and he's constantly shaping and refining me. Have any of you arrived yet? Anybody done? Okay, so it's, it's until death do we part, right? All right. And then the third area that I believe that we ought to be as people, there ought to be a change noticeable, is with me and my stuff. And that is especially true. I might not preach this if I was in Lava Misa Eswatini in Africa, uh, in a place where three-fourths of the congregation lives on less than a dollar a day, and I've visited them in their stick-and-mud huts, and I've seen them eat rice for days at a time, and that's what they have. I probably wouldn't use this point there because it's not as big of a temptation for them. It's true, but not as big of a temptation. This is a huge temptation for us because we live in the most prosperous nation in the history of nations and on the world. A poor person in the United States is wealthy by most standards across the world. And so Jesus warned his followers that there's a real dichotomy. You can't serve God and, and your love for wealth. Can't do it. Can't serve God and mammon. It's not wrong to have things. It's not wrong to have money. But when it becomes our passion and our love, that's where it gets dangerous. Well, so how do we, what's the antidote for that? Well, Paul talks about it. And in Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, not that I speak from want, Wow, Paul must have had a lot. Well, he says, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. Have you learned that yet? I know how to get along with humble means. 
I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I find it's real easy to be content when you put the key in the ignition and the car starts every time and gets you safely to where you want to get. It's a whole other thing when you're driving something that doesn't do that. Can you still be content? It's easy to be content when you have plenty of room, but can you do that when the square footage isn't near what you'd like it to be? It's easy to be content when you got brand new threads. What about when you don't? I mean, it's easy to be content when, when you, whoa, let's have this for dinner or when there's nothing. Can we do both? It's easy to be content when I'm starting out or when my salary is, is when my salary is really high. What about when my salary is not or when I don't think I'm getting what my just do? Can we be content in every circumstance and station and season in life? And then Paul adds this verse. Right now you're thinking, that's hard to do. It is hard to do. And so Paul adds this verse that is probably the most out of context, taken out of context verse in the Bible. Because Paul is, is really coming down with these Philippians saying, first of all, they're generous, they give. He's asking them to dig deeper and give more because he's wanting to plant churches. He's asking them for like a missions offering. And as he is pressing in on them, he says, you know, I've learned to be content. Because they're like, well, how can we afford it? Well, if you learn to be content, you don't have to have as much. You can afford to give more. And then he says this verse, I can do, I know it's hard to be content, but I can do all things, parentheses, even be content through Christ who strengthens me. I can do it. He would say to you, you can do it too. And so that leads me to uh, that verse is part of an illustration that I've done through the years. It is my, the only illustration I repeat. I'm going to ask our team to bring out my props uh, because it is also the most requested. If I don't do this illustration, somebody will ask me if I go several months, when are you going to do this illustration? And it is called the pipes, all right? Um, and uh, I was talking to a friend last service. You know, I've got to be honest. I wasn't that crazy about the pipes because I've seen it so many times. I'm like, yeah, but at least there's a new twist. I have a new twist at the end coming. So if you've seen this 100 times, hang on, all right? Um, if you haven't seen this, you'll wonder, well, what, what is it about this that people ask for? People who've seen this, who are open uh, and responsive, have found that it's been life-changing for them in a really healthy way. And so what this represents here is this is, uh, when it comes to our money and our stuff, first of all, the Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. So really, I don't own anything. It's all God's. And so I'm just a steward of it. And so the Bible tells you what to do with your money and your stuff to have maximum sense of, ah. And what's really crazy is that in the most prosperous materialistic nation in history, when you talk about our money and our stuff, we often don't feel, ah, we feel stress. And so if we follow this, and people have told me, Pastor Stan, I was not doing this when you first laid it out, but we are now, and it is right. And then they have their pipe story of how God has blessed them. So the Bible, this is how the Bible tells us to do what it, the Bible tells us to do with our stuff. And these pipe pieces represent a percentage of your income. This is 10%. 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70%. The half are five, so that's 75, 80, 85, 90, 95. This is two, 97, 98, 99, 100. And so this is 100% of your, we all have this in common. All of us have 100% of our income, big or small. The Bible tells you what to do with it. 
the first thing to do with it is, would you say pay your taxes? Because nobody's going to go to prison because Pastor Stan said don't pay them, all right? Jesus said pay your taxes. They pushed him out. They said, should we pay our taxes uh, or should we pay our tithes, basically? And Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And that word render there means pay. We often say, well, I pay my taxes and I give to God. Actually, it's not giving. It's paying God what is due him. And so we, we pay our taxes. And 28% is about right. If you take income tax and sales tax and property tax, it might be more, might be less, but we put 28%. Then we have, say, giving. All right. Uh, the Bible talks repeatedly about tithes and offerings, tithes and offerings. The word tithe means tenth. So the first tenth of what I earn, I give to God. I give to the, the local church. And then beyond that, offerings, outreach offerings or whatever that might be. And you can do far more than that. The amount beyond that tithe, the tithe is required, but beyond that is really your choice. And the Apostle Paul explains it this way. He says in 2 Corinthians 9, This I say, he who sows or gives sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows or gives bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart and not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now let me just stop here for a moment. And you know, that makes total sense. God loves a cheerful giver. When it's your birthday, would you like to give somebody, let's just pretend this is a gift, somebody says, well, it's your birthday, I've got to give you something. No, you wouldn't like that. What would you say? Well, go ahead and keep it. And so I would say to you, if you're at that place, because when I first started the pipes, um, I did it feeling convicted that, wow, materialism, Jesus warned us that wealth can cost us our eternity. You can't serve God in money. Then I need to dive headlong into that and preach it. Plus, there's blessings attached to it. And the reason why I was cautious initially or a little hesitant is because most of the time in a room when you're preaching about giving, the room does this, okay? Maybe not physically, but you can read it, all right? And, and people go, all they want is your money, okay? Well, kind of yes and no, all right? Um, but here I'm telling you, if you're at that place, all they want is my money. If you're grumbly about it, if you're grudging about it, don't give. Just don't. Just save it. In fact, I forgot to tell people about how to give last service. If you want to give, you can give in the boxes when you leave or online, uh, clcdayton.com or the app. I think they have a slide to throw up. That I see them panicking now in the back. Um, just don't do it. Wait until you're ready, okay? But when you are ready, all right, and you give your tithes and offerings, okay, expect God to do some great things. The next category is, say, savings. I'm glad to read that Americans are getting better at doing this. And people like Dave Ramsey tell us we have to save at least 10% of our income uh, for the future and for a rainy day. Uh, because whatever vehicle you came here on, I can assure you when you bought the last set of tires, the guy that sold you the tires didn't say, and these are the last tires you'll have to buy unless you look really old, right? <laughs> you got to buy it. They're going to wear out, okay? Everything, all, turn to your neighbor and say, all your stuff is going to wear out. Just tell them. I mean, sooner or later it is. And so you plan for that. Proverbs 21.20 says, There is precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man swallows it up. It is foolish to live paycheck to paycheck. So when you do the math, that leads us to the last category, which is our lifestyle. And when you do the math, that's the first aha moment for some people. After you pay your taxes, you pay God, you pay yourself, you have 10, 20, 35, 45. You have half your income, your gross income, to live on. Oh, no wonder it's so tight. Oh, that's impossible. No, it's possible. 
if the reference I made earlier, you learn to be content and you, you right-size your lifestyle so you can afford to pay yourself, you can afford to pay God, you can afford to pay your taxes and live within that. People consistently tell me year after year, Pastor Stan, that is so true, that is so right. We live that way and God blesses that. Unfortunately, there's another category that is common in our culture that's not real, a real biblical quality, and that's debt. And studies tell us that the average American can spend as much as 10, 20, 30 percent of their paycheck on disposable debt. I'm not talking about your house, as long as you're not house poor, it's okay. But, and think about it, by the time you pay your MasterCard and your Visa card and your Target card and your whatever card, and you pay for your car and the van or whatever, the SUV, you, you've probably got a third of your paycheck gone. Now that creates a problem because all of a sudden you realize, okay, how am I going to live on 20% of my income? Well, I can't do that. So people say, I'd love to save, but they rob from themselves. They say, I can't afford to save. Unfortunately then, since they don't have anything saved, next time their tires go bad, guess what? They have to go into more debt. To, to, anyways. And then they say, well, even that 10, 20, 30%, I can't afford to live on 30%. So as much as I would like to tithe, Pastor said I can't. And what they do is the Bible says they rob God. Literally, that's the that's word choice, rob God. Now, if we're robbing God and robbing ourselves and living like this, First of all, let me just say, to me, it, it seems rationally uh, inconsistent for anyone living like this to pray, God, bless me financially. I'm robbing you, but bless me. It doesn't work that way. And I've had many people say, man, the first time you laid the pipes out, that's how we were living and, and, you know, we get into debt because we think that there's myths that things make you happy or a little more money will solve your problems or debt's just unavoidable. And, boy, the, the Bible says that the borrower becomes the lender's slave. And I've joked that they named it MasterCard correctly because the more you use that, the more it'll tell you what you can and cannot do. And people have said, but you know what? We took it seriously. And if, you're, if this is describing you today, I want to pastor a bunch of blessed people, and for the most part, I do, and I'll share that in a moment. Um, but as quickly as you can, start paying God. As quickly as you can, start paying yourself. As quickly as you can, get out of debt. And people have said, man, when I did that, they have their, people say, Pastor Stan, I have a pipe story. And they'll talk about how they saw this, they changed this, and God blessed this. And you will have that sense of, ah. And what you really begin to discover when you get to this level is, is how, how fun this gets. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. That is so true. There is such a, a, a joy that goes soul deep about that. In fact, I can kind of help prove that uh, even now. Um, as a church, we practice this. We are debt-free. Uh, there's no mortgage on this building. Uh, we've avoided debt for all but about five of the last 30-something years. Uh, when we do go into debt, we pay it off right away and because we want to be free to give. And so um, as a congregation, uh, we believe in generosity. So if you remember back in December, uh, when the tornadoes hit, we were able to take $20,000 and give it to two relief organizations to help with tornadoes in Kentucky uh, and Arkansas. And that's because of our generosity, our obedience. 
And then we were right in the middle of taking the offering for our what if offering. Uh, every Christmas we take an offering, what if we gave like it was Jesus' birthday? And the explanation is, you know, when it's my birthday, I get a present. When it's for your birthday, you get a present. And when it's Jesus' birthday, we give each other presents and kind of rip him off. So we asked 1,000 CLC families to give $150, plus or minus, depending. Uh, and some gave more, some gave less. And our goal was $150,000 for our what if offering. And uh, we, we wanted to split it in thirds and give a third to Compassion First, our clothing ministry, to get a, a location near the neighborhood that they serve. Uh, we wanted to give a third to the Mozarts, who have a phenomenal ministry for college students in the Ukraine. They were in Russia, now they're in Ukraine. Side note, Putin and, our, and Biden and the U.S. and Russia and Ukraine and NATO and all that kind of stuff, all that trouble, they will only come to temporary solutions in my mind, where I sit, the greatest way to fix the problems in like the Ukraine and Russia is to get Jesus there. Amen. And so if we can support somebody, all right, um, who is shaping the minds of new leaders who are coming out of college, coming to Christ and changing their worldview, that's, a, that's making a real difference. So that's the second third. The third uh, 50 grand was supposed to go to the Rostafers who are planting a church in Madagascar uh, for the first time. And so uh, sometimes we go beyond the what-if offering. Sometimes we don't quite make it, but I give us points for trying. And so people are wondering, like, well, how do we do on the what-if offering? And so our team put together a little announcement. So here is our, our when we shot for our 150 thousand dollar goal of what if here's what we did that's what I'm talking about but you ain't seen nothing yet that's not all Um, we hit a major milestone and really under celebrated it Uh, Our fiscal year runs from September 1 through August 31st. And if you've been here very long, you've heard me say for years now that when you are a large church, you get to a place where you no longer need all of your income just to run operations. And so we started our God-sized vision fund and we put the tithes you just gave, we put 20% of that into the God-sized vision fund. That's how we're able to be debt-free. That's how we can plant churches across the country. That's how we invest hundreds of thousands of dollars in our inner city and overseas. And so our last fiscal year that just finished up in August, uh, we made these booklets available, but not well enough. I I encourage you to stop by when you leave, go to your left. There's a table there. Patrick, our, our outreach director, will be there. Uh, grab one of these God-sized vision booklets or in the VIP room for yourself. You might want to give it to a friend. If you know anybody who thinks churches just want my money, give it to them, okay? Because here's what we did last year because we and we are practicing this. We gave, gave away, reinvested. We have a team doing research and, and checking all these out in great detail. We gave away and reinvested in other ministries into 32 projects 11 countries, and gave away $1.8 million. Woo! How exciting is that? And what's really cool, and what's really cool for you, for us, is that Paul, in this same chapter in Philippians, says, I don't just want the gift itself, but I want for the profit that accumulates to your account. God gives you credit, if you will, honors the fact that you're making a difference. So when you give... Your ties to CLC, and it goes to the God Size Vision Fund. At Miami Valley Women's Center, you helped buy two ultrasound machines this year to help abortion-minded women change their mind. When, 
When you give the tithe that goes to the God Size Vision Fund, you're able to help us help Oasis House that helps women who are coming out of sex trafficking make a difference in their life, okay? I could go on and on. You help plant five churches across the United States. You help plant six churches with our partners in Africa. You help feed thousands of people overseas. You have made a phenomenal, you even invested $100,000, and now we have another 100 this year, in planting a church and a ministry school in Vietnam. I mean, all of that, all right, you can celebrate that. It is, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I just, I just, I'm so thrilled that I'm preaching to the choir when I'm preaching this. And you likewise. So, boy, I hope you feel really good inside as you walk away going, wow, God, you used me and us to do that. So, to know God, be his people. And the third one is value others. Would you say it's about us? Because that's us. And in 1 John, Jesus' best friend writes some pretty strong words. He says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. There's that know God. If you know God, you've got to have that love. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar for the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. I mean, if John were here sitting and listening to this, he'd say, okay, I got a quick test for you on that whole know God thing about be his people. All right, on the know God, do you love people? Because if you don't love people, don't fool yourself. You don't love God. You don't know him. And what's the commandment he's talking about? He's talking about John 13, 34, and 35, where Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, what? As I've loved you. The bar is high on that because that kind of love sees me for who I am. That kind of love cares about me and adds value to me and challenges me and inspires me and, and, and is faithful to me. That's the kind of love Jesus said, I want you to love other people that way. Paul defines the love this way. The love that Christ brings. And, and let's go back to your focus group. And they're sitting around and we ask them, okay, how are they doing on these? How, what of these adjectives would you use of this person? Would they use these words to describe you? Or give yourself a thumbs up, an equal, or a thumbs down? Love is patient. Only way to improve patience is to have it tested. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. It does not brag. It's not arrogant. Love is not, does not act unbecomingly. It's not competitive. Love does not seek its own. It's not easily provoked. Love does not keep score. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. That's how people are supposed to describe me and describe you and the way we treat them. Not just the people who love me back, but the difficult ones. And there are some people in our life, it is the grace of God and the help of the Holy Spirit to love them. Amen? But we do it anyway. Love takes time. Now, it's possible to add value to people that you barely know, that you just have a, a chance encounter with. In fact, so ask yourself, you know, what would Jesus say? What would Jesus do? How would Jesus relate to the, to the waitress at Cracker Barrel? If Jesus stopped at UDF for gas and a coffee, how would he relate? If Jesus went to where you work, how would he relate to people? Because he, he valued people. And we're to be value-adding people to those who are around us. But it's not all just in chance encounters. It also takes time to really love somebody, 
Jesus spent a lot of time with his disciples. And, and I want to raise the bar for us. If we're going to value each other, we cannot value each other as much as God would want us to and as much as what will sustain us as we go through challenges ahead if we're in a hurry to get here and a hurry to get out. Do we need to say more? So come early. Grab a cup of coffee with somebody or stay late. Don't worry about the traffic. If you stay long enough, there's no traffic to worry about. But make it your goal this year to, to be better connected with somebody at CLC to do life together, whether it's in a group or a classroom, serving together, or just, just hey, let's, let's connect. But it takes time. So our mission is to know God, to be his people, to value others. And finally, would you say change our world? And that's about them. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 5, 13. He said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. If there is ever a time that our world needs a different flavor in society, it's now. And we're the salt of the earth. Is there a, if there's ever a time when the darkness and the doom and gloom that is hovering over the world needs a light to shine brightly, it is now. If there is ever a time that the crossroads of America right outside that wall needs the light of Jesus Christ shining brightly and lifting him up, it is now and it is by us. Now let me say this. The world won't be changed by a bunch of fearful, stressed out, divided, anxious people. Amen. That's what the world is. We're not going to change the world that will not be changed. I'm going to say it again. The world will not be changed by a bunch of fearful, stressed out, divided, anxious people. And I know it is possible for Christians to become fearful, stressed out, divided, or anxious. Stop that. The world will be changed by people who are different. And I want to go back to a verse I read earlier, Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 13. I'm going to go to verse 14, and I'm going to jump to the King James Version because they use a word that we don't use very much anymore. So verse 11 said, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, that's Christ, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. But then verse 14 says, who gave himself for us. Isn't that amazing? That he might redeem us from all our sin and purify us unto himself a peculiar people zealous for good works. Peculiar. It means you're kind of different. There's something different about you, not quite in a quirky way, but there's just something, you're peculiar. The world should, that focus group should say, yeah, yeah, she's peculiar. He's peculiar, I'd say. There's something different about him because he's not, he doesn't react to things the way the rest of the world reacts to it. She doesn't get all stressed out and fearful. She has this, this peculiar peace or confidence. We should be peculiar people. 
Why? Because our primary focus is to know God and to have a relationship of love with God. And from that, all else flows. And that, that, is, that is meant to change us from the inside out. When you understand how much God loves you, it makes us fearless. That's not a leap, that's scripture. I want to share with you 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. In fact, read it out loud with me, the first part of that verse. There is no fear in love, but per- cast out fear. Okay. <clears throat> you might not have realized the magnitude and impact of those words. First of all, God loves you perfectly. I don't deserve that. You probably don't either. He loves you perfectly. He loves you and has incredible plans for you and sees your value and your worth and wants to call that out of you. And with that love, man, when God loves me, whew, and, and the world is the anxious, stressed out, fearful, divided world is looking for people who have a love that is unshakable and they have that sense of being loved deep within. So we're going to reread that. And just to help you out, I want you to stand with me, if you would. And let's read it because we just read better standing. All right. Now, we're reading about the perfect love of God, how it makes you fearless. So I'd like to encourage you to kind of like read it like it's that. Ready? Let's go. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. That's good. Let's try another verse. Let's try Romans 8, verse 18. One of my favorites. For I consider that of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed to us. Yeah, things are bad right now, but you know what? I'm going to heaven. Jesus is coming back. However bad it is here, won't compare to how good it is there. Makes me fearless. Let's try another one. Let's try on Romans 8.31. Read this one. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? And I don't know who your news media outlet is, but when they are overwhelming you with all kinds of bad news and you're getting scared and fearful, you say to yourself, what then shall I say to these things? Click the remote. If God is for us, who is against us? And then there's another passage. I'll read the first couple of verses. You'll read the last couple. But that same chapter, Romans chapter 8, verse 35, says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or viruses or politics or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it's written, for your sake we're being put to death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now read verse 37 with me out loud. But in all we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Let's keep going. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Give him an ovation of praise for that. And regardless of what culture does around us, we're going to be a peculiar, different flavor. We are not going to be slaves to fear. And so let's sing this closing song like it's our prayer. You unravel me with the melody.
spontaneous emotion to threat, to uncertainty, to perceive danger, whatever it is. Courage is a choice. 
It's a conscious choice to be courageous. And as we choose that, we remind ourselves, yeah, but if God's for me, who can be against me? And when it comes to peace, peace doesn't just land on you. As we go back to Christmas, it's still in the notes on the app. Peace is something that you have to pursue it, you think it, you choose it, you're preoccupied with it. So let's look forward to an amazing 2022 and what God wants to do in us and through us as we know God would be his people, value others, and change our world. God bless you. Have a great day. We'll see you at prayer.